When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, you know, that was an exciting day in Jerusalem. It was the beginning of an exciting week. For the Jewish people, it was the season of Passover, which was the big festival of the year. And for observant Jews, and a very large part of the population in the land at that time were observant Jews, it was important that you made the trip to Jerusalem for the High Holy Days, which is what Passover is. They were considered High Holy Days. And you should do that whenever possible. So there would have been lots of people coming from to Jerusalem, and they came from villages of Judea. They came from towns farther away, up in the north in Galilee. They even came from faraway places where Jews had scattered over the years during their times of exile and persecution. You know, because they would, you know, things would get rough, and they'd move somewhere. And then they settled there, but on the high holy days, they still wanted to come back. So they were coming from places like Egypt and Mesopotamia and Asia and the island of Crete. So as the time that the feast of the Passover was getting near, the number of people who were traveling on the roads from here and there heading for Jerusalem just increased day by day. And so during that week or so surrounding Passover, to say that Jerusalem was overcrowded would have been an understatement. Jerusalem was bursting at the seams and then some. Accommodations would have been hard to come by, you know, sort of like Louisville during Derby Week. You know, so a lot of the pilgrims found places to stay in nearby villages, and actually that's apparently what Jesus and his friends did. 
Now, I read the Matthew account of the, um, this event, but in Mark's account, he says that in the evening, Jesus went out to Bethany, a little village a few miles away, where his friends, Lazarus and Martha and Mary, lived. And we heard all about them last week. But it was a busy time. And on this day, the pilgrims were streaming in from wherever they came from to get into the city. And this was the road from Jericho that passed through Bethphage, and it was one of the major thoroughfares to get into Jerusalem. Now, I bet many of us have been in a crowd of people that was headed somewhere for a big event. You know, I grew up, you know, in the Louisville area, you know, and I remember being on the streets, you know, like when it's thunder over Louisville Day or whatever. And maybe for you, it's some um, major ball game at Rupp Arena or some big concert you've attended somewhere. But if you're in a crowd of people that are all headed to the same place, the atmosphere is sort of electric, isn't it? You know, people are laughing and talking and having a good time, and they'll chat with complete strangers because there's this air of camaraderie. You know, and you've got people who are pushing baby strollers and people who are carrying coolers and folding chairs, everything that they think they might need for the next few hours. And, you know, people are calling out to one another. They might see somebody they know. Well, that's the atmosphere that it was on this day, on this Sunday. It was a Sunday. Sabbath had ended, and when they, you know, the day before was Sabbath, and nobody could do any travel on that day, so everybody had stopped wherever it was they were. But now the Sabbath is over, so everybody's on the road again. And not only are they on the road, but at long last, the destination is in view. And that always gets the excitement meter climbing. So this was an exciting time. And, and that wasn't all of it. It wasn't just that they're near their destination. There had been whispers in the crowd, whispers about this young rabbi from Nazareth, this guy named Jesus, the one who had made the rounds of the villages that a lot of these people had lived in, and, and stories were being told, and, you know, stories about amazing things that he did, healing the sick and feeding a great crowd of people. And, you know, there was even talk that, that he'd brought back to life that dead boy over in the village of Cain one day. And as they whispered and talked about this, some people were even saying that he might be the Messiah, and wouldn't that be wonderful? Because this group was more than ready to be out from under the thumb of the Romans. You know, and the idea of a Messiah who could not only rule, but then do all of this other stuff that this guy Jesus had done with the healings and the food and all of that, you know, their idea was like, well, wouldn't that be sweet to have that kind of a Messiah? And so they're all going along, and all of a sudden, 
here he comes. And he's riding on the back of a young donkey. And you can almost hear the crowd going, wow. Because any Jewish kid who is worth his salt and had paid any attention at all during religious instruction knew that somebody riding on the donkey like that was the act of a king and a king who was coming in peace. There was a message in what Jesus was doing, and they knew that there was a message in it. And so this whole atmosphere that was exciting to begin with got more exciting by the minute because they're beginning to kind of put two and two together. And then somebody started it. And I'm not talking about somebody starting the wave like we do at a game. What some unknown person did was to put a cloak down in the road And then somebody saw him do that, and they followed suit, and another, and another, until the path was just sort of carpeted with people's cloaks. And that was a sign of respect and humility towards the one riding. And then some people up the way grabbed branches off the nearby trees, and they began to wave them. And the cry, Hosanna, moved its way along the crowd. And the chant grew stronger and stronger as Jesus rode along past them. They were shouting, Hosanna. Well, what does that word mean? Any of you want to take a guess? I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I thought it was a word of praise, sort of like the word hallelujah. You know, Hosanna, hallelujah, they both had kind of the same ring to them. But Hosanna is not a word of praise. Hosanna is an imploring kind of word. It's a pleading kind of word. It's a word that expresses hope that the other person is going to rise to the occasion and do something. Because what the word Hosanna means is, save us. Save us. The people who were shouting Hosanna on that day 2,000 years ago were looking for somebody who would help them out Somebody who would rescue them and be their deliverer. And that's what they desperately wanted. Save us. They were weary of the Roman occupation. They were tired of being treated like second-class citizens, or actually much of the time they weren't treated like citizens at all. They had endured so many years of abuse. Their struggle had been a long one. And they were hoping for their Messiah to come and make everything right and to give them victory and help them find their freedom. The Jewish people in that day were hoping and wanting things like economic success and political freedom 
and lives that were not filled with struggle. And when you stop and think about it, pretty much like you and me and like what we'd like to have. But those people were tired of living in a desperate situation. But now they were beginning to have some hope that maybe those days were over. Because yes, there had been those whispers that this young itinerant rabbi, this young man from Galilee, just might be the Messiah that they had been looking for and hoping for and waiting for for centuries. The ones that all of their ancient writings pointed to. You know, maybe, just maybe, he was the one. So with all of this hope, they stood along the road, yelling and screaming, Hosanna, save us. They were hoping that he would hear, that he would get the message, that he would do it, that he would rise to the occasion and be the Messiah that they wanted him to be. Well, friends, he did hear. He did get the message. He did do it. He did rise to the occasion, quite literally, I would add, but we're going to get more about that next week. Jesus was truly their Messiah. But he was their Messiah in a way not what they wanted or expected. They were hoping for this great political conqueror. And as the week went on, everything that seemed so hopeful on this Sunday, when they were waving their palm branches and screaming, it all began to fade away and disintegrate and disappoint them. Instead of the political victor that they had been hoping for, they received a suffering savior. And that wasn't what they had in mind. Not what they had in mind at all. They were hoping for some big military coup. And what they ended up witnessing was a cross. And to call that a disappointment is another understatement. A few days later, their cries of Hosanna and save us seem to be defeated and trounced. And then it was all over. All over because of the dying gasps of a man who had been strung up by the Romans in the most horrific means of execution that anybody could think up. No, the crowds on this Sunday didn't get what they wanted. They didn't get what they'd been hoping for. But what the people that, of that day didn't realize was what they had been wanting was not what they needed. They wanted to throw off Roman rule and establish their own kingdom. But what they needed was to become part of the kingdom of God, 
that upside down kingdom established in love that we've talked about in the weeks past. What they wanted was political freedom. But what they needed was spiritual freedom. They wanted money, riches, success. But they needed eternal treasure. They wanted to be justified in their own selfish ways of living. But what they needed was to learn a new way, the way of self-sacrificial love. You know, if we had lived in that area 2,000 years ago, you and I would have been part of the crowd that day. It would have been us shouting, Hosanna, save us. And it would have been us not knowing what it was that we were asking for. Because like the crowd that was lining that road to Jerusalem, what we often want from Jesus and what it is that we need are often two entirely different things. Yes, we still cry, save us. But each of us has our own agenda for what that means. We want to be saved from the consequences of our own bad choices. But all too often, we don't want to make any changes. Oh, Lord, save me from a broken relationship. But don't ask me to forgive. Save me from the sin of greed. But don't ask me to live more simply or generously. Save my children and keep them out of trouble. But don't ask us to rearrange our family priorities and make you really central in our home. Save us, Lord, but do it our way. Indulge our wants and please don't ask anything of us in return. It's the same for us as it was for the people 2,000 years ago. The crowd that day didn't get it. And I'm afraid much of the time we don't get it either. Because the cross really doesn't seem to make much sense. And why did Jesus say strange things like, the, one, the ones who want to find their life will lose it. And the ones who lose their life for my sake will find it. Hosanna, save us. Save us from ourselves. That's what we really need. You know, we're embarking on Holy Week. And we need to realize that it isn't just about a bunch of stuff that happened way back when. Holy Week is also about us. 
You know, we might look at the people along the road and think they were just kind of a bunch of ignorant and benighted people of long ago. And that we, with all of our supposed sophistication of the 21st century, are so superior to them. But the truth is, we are just as needy and we are just as confused about what really matters and what real salvation is. On this Palm Sunday, 2,000 years later, you and I are the ones who need spiritual freedom and eternal treasure and to become part of the kingdom of God and to learn the way of Jesus, the way of obedient and self-sacrificial love. And so we cry, save us, Hosanna, save us from ourselves.